Spirit is visiting us these days? Are we listening and opening those doors so that right now God's Spirit is with us? And we recognize in faces that look like ours and faces that don't look like ours that this is God's family right now. It's a wonderful language in this Gospel of John. The section here, and I want to spend a little time on a couple of the words because it's talking about the Holy Spirit. One of the words that says advocate in your reading, did you hear that? Advocate, the one that fights for you, talks for you, turns the case around on your behalf. The Holy Spirit is our advocate. There's a wonderful word in Greek that they're translating to advocate, and it's the word paraclete. And I want you to see it up there. It's called paraclete. I've got a slide for it that might come up in a second. There you go. And so in paraclete, para, the first part of it means the alongside walker. Para, alongside. Okay, cleat to walk. You know what cleats are, right? Put them on your feet so you can get around. So this image of the Holy Spirit, the advocate as the one, the alongside walker, the one that's with you your whole days. Right now, we don't have to wait. Right now, Holy Spirit is with you. And then in the next phrase of that same passage, it uses another name for the Holy Spirit. It says, Spirit of Truth. Spirit of Truth. And it's interesting because the way that's translated in the Greek means the one that doesn't forget. The not forgetting. The spirit of truth that stays with you, knows who you are, doesn't forget who you are, doesn't forget anything in the world, holds all the details together, and is with you, walking alongside you. Not forgetting. And the encouragement for us to walk alongside one another and for us to not forget. Not forget that we are brothers and sisters. Not forget all the details of each other's lives. Not to forget that God has blessed each one of us and said, you are my own. Holy Spirit, right now, we are ready for you here. That paraclete, the alongside walker who encourages us not to forget, to remember all that is. And it's interesting that in this passage from John and in the reading we get from Gregory Boyle today, we get this wonderful image that we often use of the church as family, as God's family as community, you know, and so, so the title of the sermon today is Kingdom Come, because I believe that's actually what this passage is about, rather than Kingdom Come, and I, I remember that familiar prayer of ours that Jesus taught us, and I was taught to say it this way a long time ago, eternal God, mother and father of us all, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Eternal God, mother and father of us all, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That means right now. That means Holy Spirit fall, walk with us right now. Do not ever let us forget who we are before you, who we are to each other, and that everyone is included in the right now. Thy kingdom come. Shifts that prayer a whole bunch on earth right now so that we know our responsibility in being part of that family to one another. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That passage in John goes on to say in that family language 
No orphans here. No orphans here. You are mine. I am in you. No orphans here. Some of us may have actually been orphans or just had that experience of feeling like an orphan. What does it mean to not belong, to not feel a part of? I had a friend who's six foot three, blonde hair, and built like a football player, was adopted by a little bitty family, brunette, skinny folk. And then finally they told him he was adopted, and he had figured it out by the time he was 16 already. But what did it mean to wonder about your sense of belonging and where you came from? God says right here, I will give you the alongside one who walks with you and won't let you ever forget that you are mine, you are not an orphan. We are one together. How many times this week did you pretend like you forgot that you did not know that you were God's and claimed by the Holy Spirit? Sometimes situations make us forget. Today is one of those days of not forgetting. Today and tomorrow, this weekend is Memorial Day, Memorial Day weekend, the weekend when we're asked to remember when we're asked to not forget, to not forget the many who have served our country and the world in ways to help make peace and safety a part of our lives. We're asked not to forget the sacrifice of families who live without their loved ones, families whose loved ones died before their time, families and those who returned not quite the same way they were before. We're asked to not forget some of the stories we read in papers about veterans, hospitals, and other ways that we treat returning veterans make us wonder if we have forgotten. Do we take seriously what it means to be in service for others? Do we honor and respect that service? And when people return, do we let them know that we understand it was a sacrifice of service on behalf of something larger than themselves? Whatever we believe about peace and war and militarism and all those things, we have to know that people have given of their faithful duty on behalf of others. And what does it mean if we forget that? And so we have Memorial Day, Memorial Day so that we do not forget. And we might check in on this day to see how are we doing how are we doing with the remembering? Uh, there's a professor, Rita Nakashima Brock, who's at, in Fort Worth at Bright Divinity School. And she heads up a program there called Soul Repair. Soul Repair. And in that program, they have treatment of veterans and others who've experienced catastrophic events like war. And in that treatment, they explore what it means to come back and have people not willing to listen to your story not really willing to know what the truth was of your service and what the cost was to you. And that veterans come back and then they feel orphaned because the family won't hear their story in the way that they need it to be heard. And they come back sometimes not knowing who they are anymore. My brother-in-law Lee has come back twice from long, de long deployments and each time he had to learn what it was like to be a father again. You might think that'd be easy with four kids, but he came back from months and months of deployment and had to relearn 
what did it mean to be a father again? And felt that isolation, felt that being an orphan, being away from that which could even heal because of the disconnection, the memories of combat, the worry about whether what I did was really right each and every time, you know, and bringing that home and not having anyone to share that with. Rita Nakashima Brock calls that moral injury. It's a moral injury. When you do faithfully your duty, and in the moment of that duty, experience later grief about it that others won't acknowledge. For whatever is within themselves, they're not able to listen to that story. So today, as we remember, we don't remember just those who died, but we remember those who came back and who part of them died. And we wonder, how can we be a people who help listen those stories back into the community, back into the life? Because what they found at the Soul Repair program is that that is the way people are healed that God's kingdom comes again, that people become a part of the family again, that people are heard back into being the brother and the sister and the father and the mother, that that is the action that's required for healing to occur. Are we ready to listen those stories into the fullness of their being so that people can grieve People can forgive themselves even for doing what was right or what was their duty so that people can be restored back into the family. Memorial Day. Spirit of Truth says, don't forget, don't forget I'm with you. Don't forget the cost of what it means to be my disciple. It turns out that when veterans return home, life is more lethal than war. When they've done the studies of the same time period of who was killed in battle versus who committed suicide when they returned, more people committed suicide when they returned than were actually killed in action in our last two wars. What does it mean that it's more lethal to come home and to have people forget and not bring you back into the kingdom? Why? A huge, huge opportunity for us to say, Holy Spirit, right now, come down. Holy Spirit, be with us in these places where people's lives are hurt and broken and need to be heard back into the community of faith, back into the family of God. What does it mean that more have died since returning in the same time period at their own hand? Healing from moral injury requires being included back into the family. It fits along with Gregory Boyle's teaching today. Gregory Boyle says to us that the homies, and one of you laughs every time I say that word, they think it shouldn't come out of my mouth, <laughs> that the homies themselves don't see themselves as they are until others around them hear their stories back into the family and back into being. The kingdom has to surround them for their healing to happen. And you stay with them until they do. The behavior you see that's so out of sorts with the rest of society is just a symptom of the harm and the deep hurt. 
And our task is to listen to those stories back into the healing of the whole, the healing of the church. There's this ritual at um, Homeboys Industries that many of the homies go through. And it's the ritual of reclaiming a new identity. And part of it comes from when they belonged to a gang, they had to mark themselves. They had to mark themselves with tattoos that showed who their family was, who it was whose back they had. And so those tattoos might be on their neck, might be on their forehead. And so as, as they try to enter a new life, they have no way to enter when these marks are upon their bodies in this way, when they're trying to bake bread with others, when they're trying to be a part of a new family. And so part of their ministry is to remove the marks. Part of the ministry is to take the time and the energy to go through and take those marks off their necks and their forearms and their foreheads when they're ready for that. It's called tattoo removal, and it feels a lot like if you ever cooked and you're frying bacon, it cooks like that fat that splatters on your arm. It feels like that. You know, each little zap feels like that grease that's, that's come on your arm. But say the process is really significant in the homies being brought back into the kingdom. Let's hear a little word about that. It was like, well, hey, I ain't got no life out there, no parents. Why not? I just started sleeving myself up everywhere, my chest, my back, my stomach. I filled up my neck because I, you know, didn't see a future for myself and I had one but I just didn't have that right direction. There's two levels of difficulty with leaving the gang through getting one's tattoos removed. You know the tattoos are very symbolic. So there's the actual physical going through it, going back, repeated appointments, keeping your commitments. And this becomes a symbol of the new way of life. And many homies talk with me about how it almost feels like a baptism. It's almost like they're being reborn without their tattoos. You did whatever you had to do when you were younger. You do, you change now. If you want to change, a more power to you. I'm in a recovery, getting my tattoos removed one by one, all the gang-related ones. Going through that process over and over again, repeated appointments to get each little piece taken off of you. But it's like baptism. It's like emerging from one being into another. It's a ritual that they didn't plan on becoming a ritual, but has become significant in the lives of homies and transformation. What if we had something like that for all those who feel like they're orphans? For all those who've lost their way either because they were trying to do their duty or just got lost. When the Holy Spirit comes and says, you are not an orphan, I am with you. Remember, I have called you by name. You are mine. Don't forget, don't forget. We will hear your story. We will hear your story into life. You will be baptized again all over in your heart. Some of us have been telling those stories at City Hall for weeks now, and we're going to do it again this Wednesday. Hear those stories into life, back into the kingdom, back into the family, because that is where the healing comes, not from being isolated as the orphans again. 
I had a student intern one time, her name was Melissa. This is back when I was doing psychotherapy full-time, and she was a psychologist doctoral student, and she had two sites for her internship. One was where I was, serving the HIV and AIDS population, and one was at the Veterans Hospital, serving uh, veterans who'd returned home from uh, combat. And so in one of our sessions, she was worried because she was young, you know, she's like 23 years old, and she's with this group of veterans who have gone through all these life experiences, and it's been a struggle for her. Their world's very different from her world. And as she's in the middle of that group, she realizes all of a sudden she's going to have to tell them, these people who still distrust the world and feel like they are orphans, she's going to have to tell them because she's starting to show that she's pregnant. And she's terrified about this because she's seen some interesting things happen in this group that make her not so sure that's the right news to share with these people that believe at this moment in time that they are orphans and that the world is not safe. And so she asks, what can I do? We talk about it. So what do you think? Why did you choose this location for your internship? And she said, I did because of my grandfather and my brother who've been in the service. You know, my grandfather who died in the service, I did it because of the care and the service that they gave for all of us. And I said, well, would that be so bad to tell them? You see, because in her training, they had told them not to do that. In some ways, to keep separation between the psychologist and the persons in the group, but to not share that kind of information with them. And so I said, well, Melissa, what would it be like if you just said, you know, when they ask you, wow, how in the world can you bring that child into this awful world if you simply told them because of your service, because of what you've done in this world? It makes me at this point in time able to bring this child in this world and to love it and to just simply say thank you for what you've done. So she did that. She created kingdom instead of hierarchical kingdom in that group, she got in trouble for doing that by her supervisors. But the group transformed itself and healing was advanced. So what does it mean when we hold back those things from ourselves, or even train to hold those things back? Well, what we need to do is to bring the orphans in and not forget who they are. All sorts of opportunities we have for creating the kingdom. Greg Boyle tells the story in his church when they opened the doors to homeless folk who were showing up around the building. And soon enough, about 50 men were sleeping in the sanctuary overnight. Then it grew to 100 sleeping in the sanctuary overnight. And he said the next morning, Sunday morning, was the only time they ever used incense in that church. They used incense in that church because there was kind of a smell that lingered from the 50 to 100 men sleeping in the church the night before. And there started to be some grumbling and complaining because no matter how much I love my carpet he sprinkled on and vacuumed and how many candles he lit, that you could still, still have the smell of 50 to 100 homeless men who had slept in the sanctuary the night before. And so the brothers, uh, the Jesuits, decided at that point in time that they would address it directly. They said, well, if we can't fix it, let's figure out how to feature it, feature this smell that kept lingering. 
And so they started a sermon on a Sunday morning. And he talked to the people, and they would talk back to him. And so Gregory Boyle starts the story, and Michael's going to help me with this. And as he, as he starts the story, he says, what's this church smell like? And the people are mortified because they know what it smells like. And their eyes are looking at the ground. And he doesn't pull back. He comes back to him again. He says, what does this church smell like? Huele a patas. Smells like feet. Don Rafael booms out, and he was old, and he never cared what people thought. Excellent. But why does it smell like feet? Because many homeless men slept here last night, says a woman. Well, why do we let that happen here? It's nuestro compromiso. It's what we've committed to do. Well, why would anyone commit to do that? Porque es lo que haría Jesús. It's what Jesus would do. Well then, what's the church smell like now? And then a man stands up and bellows out, huele a nuestro compromiso. It smells like our commitment. The place cheers. And then Guadalupe waves her arms wildly and says, huele a rosas. It smells like roses and flowers. What does it mean when a church says it smells like roses and flowers? They step forward to say, all these folks are now adopted. This is our church. This is our commitment to Christ. This is where we all belong. It smells like roses. Greg says, it still smelled like feet. But their perception had changed because the Holy Spirit had visited right then and there. And kingdom emerged. Eternal God, Mother and Father of us all, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven.